a radio show that confesses Christ. Without confusing the law and the gospel. A radio show that takes scripture seriously. Without taking ourselves so seriously. You're listening to Table Talk Radio. Have you completely dedicated every part of yourself to And I said, well, what's the answer? And she says, that's the trouble. The answer is always no. I said, well, let's ask the question a different way. Has Jesus given everything for you? Has he dedicated his whole life to you? Has he invited you into his heart? And the answer to that is a glorious and gracious and conscious, freeing, comforting yes. Uh, only then we, we hear the gospel, that Jesus Christ came to earth, uh, was born of a Virgin Mary, lived a perfect life uh, in our place, and died the death that we deserved, took on the full wrath of God. All that was done for us so that we could be called righteous and holy in the eyes of God. That's not going to help with the who wants to date a seminarian hotline right there. <laughs> well, listen to that. That is the new sound of Table Talk Radio. What do you think, Pastor? Do, I don't. Are you asking if I missed the boodaloo? Boodaloo. No, I don't. Carrie's going to be so happy. She's say, been trying to get rid of that music for. We we are entering that theme music into the Table Talk Radio Hall of Fame, and it bears <laughs> Carrie's number be, in, in her honor. <laughs> I don't know why you don't like that. <laughs> well, when you're not paying for the music, then what can you do? Yeah. <laughs> well, that is the new theme music of Table Talk Radio. We have a great show in store for you today. We're going to start off doing our buzzwords and then responding to our listeners, um, both of them. <laughs> Hello, listeners. Jack and Fred. Good to have you guys out there. Um, and then we're playing a little bit of Ten Commandments in the News, followed up by Who Wants to Be a Theologian? I do. I and, do. Those are my favorite games. All right. If we have a little bit of time, we're going to play some uh, What's in Your Pastor's Library, because we haven't done that in a while. And I'm a little worried what a uh, pastor has accumulated in his library since the last time we played. Well, let's do our theological buzzwords first. My theological buzzword for you. Are Wait, you ready? we don't have this uh, this intro. Oh, I don't have it. Well, okay. Well, let's do that. In in the the theme of um, li- responding to our, our listeners, we had a listener call in and leave us this message, which is now our new introduction to theological buzzwords. This is Eric, the truck driver, and I love Table Talk Radio. Without theological buzzwords, I could never understand Johan Gerhard. <laughs> yeah, Eric, that's great. Oh, that, <laughs> that really is. Uh, so, yeah, I was going to get some music to go with that, so I'll, I'll be working on that in the future. Good. Um, my theological buzzword for you is theophany. Oh, theophany, yeah. So this is the uh, the visible um, appearance of, of God um, in in this world, I guess you could say. That's right. We often talk about Old Testament theophanies when God appears. Very good. Theo meaning God and fanny meaning sight <laughs> <laughs> okay. or something. Uh, my word for you is uh, revelation. Which can be used uh, perhaps a number of ways, but um, uh, it could be the revelation, the book of Revelation, or it could be simply that God reveals something, that he has to unveil some sort of truth. So we talk about, in theology, natural revelation, things that we know about God from nature, and then special revelation, which is, the, which is only in the gospel, the love of God seen in the death of Christ. 
So uh, any way you want to use it, that's uh, whatever suits your fancy. Your theological buzzword, buzzword is revelation. I need to, to talk to my friend from Kansas who's been uh, keeping track of the, the total Table Talk Radio point count because um, I, I think I'm probably – getting a demanding lead because you never listen to what I say on the radio. <laughs> and so I always cash in 500 points of these theological buzzwords just simply because you're not listening. Right, checking my email. <laughs> oh, Evan's Writing talking. my sermon. Evan's talking, we don't have to listen. <laughs> take some time off. <laughs> just trying to have the same experience that our listeners do. Yeah. <laughs> Tuning you out. Oh, that's true. <laughs> okay. Well, then, uh, that, that was our, our first... Uh, listener we want to respond to that was eric the truck driver um but we have another one in our forum pastor you want to you want to talk about this forum post yes i have it here uh it's under the title book of acts christians there's a few responses but here's the first one it's short i just spoke with a friend of mine formerly lcms who says that he's a book of acts christian he he kept describing on what they do like what luke describes in acts chapter two to four by the holy spirit I've never heard of this particular group until today. Does anyone know anything about this group and how to witness to them? From what he describes, they're awfully, quote, in the spirit. Aha. You know, there's this, um, I don't know if you even call it a movement, but this interest, I guess, in, in some of the, some Protestant churches to, to go back to the the first century church, you know. And so they say, well, look, you'll, we'll read in the book of Acts, and, and this is uh, what the church looked like. So this is how the, the Christian church should be like today. And, um, well, that's, uh, that's a, a noble and, and pious quest. Um, I assure you that you don't want to look like the first century church because the first century church is the one that was persecuted. <laughs> so, Yeah, that's true. I, there, um, I think a lot of people nowadays, and this has been going on for a couple of centuries, we have this idea of some sort of pristine state, some sort of like there was a pristine church, uh, unspoiled church uh the native church um it's it's a romantic sort of idea that there was that you could go back to the time when there were no problems um and and you see this in the church that we want to we want to go back to the pristine church of acts before it got all muddled up with uh secular government and wars and swords and and uh and all this sort of stuff and while we can look back at church history and criticize those places where the church got a little bit too uh zealous with their um, political aspirations, we we want to understand clearly that, the like you said, Evan, the first century church was not some sort of pristine church. Um, the, the church has always had problems because it's always Jesus' church. It, it always then will be in trouble. It'll always uh, uh, be struggling. It'll always be assaulted by false teachers. I mean, look, at even Jesus himself was assaulted by false teachers, the Pharisees and scribes. Paul, everywhere he goes, in the shadow of his journeys are these um, Judaizers who are traveling around trying to undo all the work that he did. Uh, Luther, was uh, in the medieval church, would say something like, uh, we can do uh, ten years of work trying to plow the ground to plant the gospel, and one enthusiast will come along and destroy it in a day. Uh, the church is, is constantly in trouble. So there is th- this illusion of a pristine church where there's some sort of higher spirituality is just simply that, an illusion. Yeah, so That's maybe the first thing to say. Instead of a uh, Book of Acts church, I think I would want to establish the uh, Book of Revelation church, in which uh, you have the the white robes. Uh, cl- I heard it, the buzzword. In- <laughs> I heard the buzzword. <laughs> you have the, the white robes washed in, in, the, in the blood of the Lamb and, and the uh, rising of, of, the, of the dead um for to, to live in the presence the presence of Christ uh, for all eternity and perfection. I think that's the church I want. 
Well, yeah, that's right. I'll give you 300 points for that. Thank you. Uh, you didn't wait long enough for me to forget the buzzword. <laughs> but per- perhaps maybe there's a problem in the, in this in picking a book of the Bible that we want to that we want to build the church from. Like, uh, why not be a book of Romans church, or like you said, a book of Revelation church, or a book of First Peter church, or a book of Mark church, or a book of Judges church? I mean. Uh, why try to separate ourselves from the church universal? Jesus says this promise, on this rock, that's the confession of who he is, on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not stand against it. So that so that the church in the book of Acts was Jesus' church. The church in Ephesus and the church in Rome and the church in Philippi and the church in the diaspora, this is the church of Jesus. The, the church in the Middle Ages, the church in uh, in the early church, uh, you know, in the in the in the uh, 800 and 900s, the church coming out of the Reformation, the church nowadays, it's all Jesus' church. It is His church, and we are not we are not given the option of despising that which Jesus loves. Perhaps this is the most wonderful verse about the church. When uh, Paul's talking about a husband and wife in uh, in um, in Ephesians chapter five. No, that's not Ephesians. Is it Ephesians five? Yeah, Ephesians chapter five. And he says, uh, "Husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave Himself up for her." And we gloss over that, but but it's a it's a wonderful promise. It says, "As Christ loves the church," so that Jesus. I mean, this is we can meditate on this for a little while. Jesus loves His church. He he absolutely loves it. He loves it, he, he, and he makes the church lovely by his forgiveness and by his blood spilt. And, and so we do not have the option of hating or despising the church wherever we find it because Jesus, because Jesus loves it. Are you there? Yeah, I was just meditating. <laughs> home. <laughs> home. There, uh, now, there, we can say a few other things about, I think, this Book of Acts thing. The one is to note that... Um, while Acts is descriptive, we often treat it as prescriptive. We we want to be a little bit careful with this, uh, but the difference between descriptive and prescriptive is the book of Acts is describing how things went in the first century, not necessarily telling us how they ought to go in every century. And we know that simply because a lot of things go wrong in the book of Acts, and so it's not telling us that we ought to do things that way. Uh, you see what I mean? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so we don't want to take necessarily the book of Acts to be um, a prescriptive on how the church ought to be. But if you did want to have simply a book of Acts Christian, and this comes back to the original question, how do you talk to someone about being a book of Acts Christian? Well, I would simply go to Acts 2, verse 42, 44. Where is this? 38, 42, somewhere in here. <laughs> ah, yes, I had it right the first time. Acts chapter 2, verse 42, which says this. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and in fellowship, in the breaking of bread, and in prayers. So that you have these four, or perhaps better understood, three things that the church is constantly devoted to. The apostles' doctrine, the breaking of bread, that's the Lord's Supper, and the prayers, that's the liturgy. So that if you say, well, we want to have an Acts uh, church, then you turn to that verse and say, well, that's exactly what... Uh, what we have in the Lutheran Church exactly there. All right, let's go to a break. We'll be right back for more Table Whoa. Talk Radio right after this We're done already? commercial break. The Book of Acts Christians didn't have these kind of breaks. <laughs> <laughs> This is Dr. Carl Fikencher, professor at Concordia Theological Seminary. Even though you have no one to blame but yourself, you're listening to 
Table Talk Radio. Table Talk Radio has been broadcasting for just over a year now, and it remains to be everyone's favorite Lutheran theological game show. Over the past year, we've grown to three radio station affiliates, and we are constantly growing with more podcast listeners. But we need your help. Table Talk Radio is listener-supported. If you can help us pay the bills, visit our website, tabletalkradio.org, and click the Donate button to ensure the continuation of Table Talk Radio. Buy me some peanuts and Cracker Jack. I don't care if I never get back. Let me root, root for the home team. If they don't win, it's a shame. Because it's one, two, three strikes, you're out at the old ball game. Welcome back to Table Talk Radio. We're responding to this uh, post on our forum located at our website tabletalkradio.org Before we move on to Ten Commandments in the News, we need to tell you uh, about this little baseball game we're paying attention to. And uh, that is with another radio program. You know, most of our listeners at Table Talk Radio um, are also listeners to another radio program, Issues Etc. But we shouldn't assume that everyone uh, is. and um, Because there's, you know, two out of three probably probably (laughs) are. But uh, Issues Etc. is another radio program based out of um, St. Louis area, and so we have a little, a little bit of a wager going on with these guys over at uh, Issues Etc. Uh, Todd Wilkin and Jeff Schwartz, and uh, when the when the Cardinals are playing the Colorado Rockies in Colorado, do you, do you remember those dates, Pastor? September twenty third ish. Third ish. Anyway, there's a there's a three game series, and whoever wins two out of three is the winner. Uh, now, Pastor, why don't you tell us what is on the line here? On the line is if the Rockies win, then uh, we will get a Issues Etc. bundle pack, a listener bundle pack, which I think has um, a bumper sticker and a mug and a T-shirt. Although I, I, apparently they're, I think they're trying to unload all that stuff, so by the time they lose this little um, this little friendly wager, they're going to uh, have nothing to send. And if the Cardinals win, which won't happen, although they just acquired uh, 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 Matt Holliday, uh, who used to right. went to the... Uh, World Series with the Rockies, but anyway, and he's doing great over there. But if the if the Cardinals win, then we are going to send them a Table Talk Radio beer stein. Is that true? That's right. Something from our Table Talk Radio store. Right. But why don't we? I, I have a better idea. Why don't we send them the, the shirts? Uh, Infused Grace is a uh, what is it? What? Should be a banned substance. Oh yeah, a banned substance. Right. I think I think they would like those shirts better. <laughs> well, we could. Yeah. You know, Stuff one in the beer stein. I'm not really worried about what we have to send them. I know. I I I, I would like my idea better. Instead of sending them a beer stein, we should send them table talk radio points. <laughs> <laughs> we don't want to spoil them. Yeah. So stay tuned for that. We'll be uh, sure to update you on the status of of that little wager. All right. Ten commandments in the news. This is simply where we talk about some some news articles and uh, talk about what ten commandments are being in, uh, involved in these articles and these news stories. With I was thinking about this game, by the way. I, I, it's really growing on me. The more and more I think, I'm kind of becoming obsessed with Ten Commandments in the news, and I, and I think this is why. We tend to have a kind of a minimalized view of the law, uh, where, I, I mean, we know the most important use of the law is to show us our sin. So it comes to, zap, you're no good before God. Uh, which is true. That's the chief and most important use of the law to get us to the gospel. But when you read something like, say, Luther's uh, large catechism, and he is holding forth on the Ten Commandments, he, 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 Luther understands that everything in this world is ordered and 
governed in one way or another by the Ten Commandments because because God gives his gifts and he wants those gifts to protect it and he puts the Ten Commandments in place to protect these gifts so that every area of our life uh, can can fall into these Ten Commandments so that when we when we look around us and this is the point of the game when we look around us at the news or whatever we want to have a, 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 a Christian framework a biblical framework through which we understand even current events and so we so we want to ask the question what realm what commandment kind of is governing the things that are going on in these news stores yeah and we added a new little twist to this game and that is uh in addition to identifying the Ten Commandments that are being involved, we also uh, we also talk about uh, how how would one communicate this to his neighbor? Is that right? Yeah, that's right. Or if you were talking to the person in the news story, what might you say uh, to put a Christian framework on it, a Ten Commandments framework on it? I'm not exactly sure how that's going to go, but uh, <laughs> we'll yeah, see. That'll be interesting. All right, uh, you want to go first, or do you want me to go first? I want uh, you to read your news story first. Okay. Well, my. Uh, news story uh, headlines. This is from um, Newsday.com, and it headlines, Five Signs You Could Be Addicted to Facebook. Oh, brother. Okay, I'm just kidding. Uh, that, that is a real story, <laughs> but that's not the one <laughs> I have for you. You and your tirade. You're, you're the person most obsessed with Facebook who's not actually on it that I know. That's not true. Okay. Except you are now on it. Um, I forgot. Not officially. Oh, yes. Dear dear Table Talk Radio listeners, uh, <laughs> here's some news. Uh, lowly Vicar Gagline ha- has now, uh, through his uh, vicarage um, thing, a Facebook account. So you can join the fun at, uh, what is it again? What's your name on there? Well, it's it's through the church. I mean, I didn't even set it up. It was already set up for the vicar. So I just I just invite people on there. So don't bother in, in inviting me to be friends or whatever. I'll probably just decline you. No, he won't. He can't. He is bound to accept you as a friend. That's not true. I've already, I've already declined people. What are you talking about? Really? Oh, yeah. really? Do you want to tell us their names? <laughs> no? <laughs> Look at you're stuck now. Oh, I love it. You don't I think really I have? Really love I, it. I really have. <laughs> no, I know you have, but now you can't tell us. That. It's a terrible thing to decline to be friends with someone. Boy. Yeah. Talk about Missouri Synod closed Facebook friend <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of issues, etc., they're talking about the narcissism of Facebook users. What are we talking about this for? Okay, um, I have two. I have two news articles, uh, and they both happen to be uh, dealing with um, uh, ch- church bodies. And so, I want you to pick. Do you want to talk about the Episcopal Church or the Roman Catholic Church? Oh boy, uh, let's do the Episcopalians first. All right. The Epith- the, the, it, this is from uh, USA Today. The Episcopal dioceses are fast to list gay nominees for bishop. Less than three years ago, the Episcopal Church uh, cleared the decks for full participation by openly gay members, all the way up to the role of bishop. And already two dioceses are nominating gay and lesbian candidates for that role, despite the clear dismay of Archbishop of Canterbury, Rowan Williams, head of the Worldwide Anglican Communion. In a way, the issue is moving full circle. The election of the church's first gay bishop, Gene Robinson of New Hampshire, was ratified at the church's triannual governing meeting in Minneapolis in 2003. Late last week, the Diocese of Minnesota announced that one of three nominees for bishop is a lesbian priest from Chicago. The vote will be held um, at the diocese convention in October. All right, so this is maybe an easy one. What commandment is being dealt with in the Episcopal Church? Well, there's a. I think there's a couple here. Um, the first is just the plain old issue of homosexuality, which is covered under 
uh, the sixth commandment, you shall not commit adultery, where the Lord there is protecting his gift of marriage. And so any sort of um, uh, sexual uh, practice or intimacy that's outside the confines of a marriage of a man and a woman is a, is a violation of the sixth commandment. Um, so, so whenever you get uh, kind of whenever you get homosexual homosexuality questions coming up, you know you're dealing in the realm of the sixth commandment. But uh, there's something else in this story here. It's not just a uh, there, there's there's a reason, or maybe a couple of reasons why this is such a big issue. I mean, one, the scriptures say plainly that homosexuality is a sin, one of many sexual sins. I will grant you that, but it is certainly a sexual sin. But there is something where this, uh, where where um, we have this trend in the church where people who are homosexuals don't want to acknowledge it as a sin and say and say it's not, and the and the thing that allows them to get away with that is a is a different view of the scriptures, a view of the scriptures which say that they were historically conditioned, um, that they're not all the word of God, that the Bible contains the word of God, but it's not the word of God, and so now we bring reason to bear in criticizing the scriptures. And that is a violation of the second commandment, misusing the name of the Lord. Whenever we whenever we play fast and loose with the scriptures uh, and, we, and we begin to uh, justify sin in the name of God, then we're breaking the second commandment as well. Oh, very good. Um, okay, so how do, you, how do you speak this, what these commandments, sixth and second that you just articulated? How do you speak that to, um, you know, your, your local... Episcopalian priest. Yeah, this is a tricky thing. If you're if you're sitting there um, having a conversation with an Episcopalian priest trying to, and he's trying to argue the validity of, the, of these things, how does this look? I can actually tell you how a conversation like that went. A couple years ago, I was up in Oregon. How much time do we have? Should I make this a short one? Uh, you have about a minute and a half. Oh, um, and he we were sitting there at, ta- at the table, me and my and my dad and a friend of ours. Uh, and I was wearing my collar, and this fellow was a retired Anglican priest, and he came up to ask me if I was Episcopalian because I had the identifying marks around my neck. Uh, and I said, no, Lutheran, and we started visiting uh, back and forth, and, and he was talking about how he's one of these progressive uh, progressive Episcopalians. He's, he wants all these social changes. And, and I said, how could it be that um, the Bible speaks differently? And he says, well, the Holy Spirit continues to speak and inform us through culture. So through our cultural insights, we, we hear the voice of God. Now, so that the Bible is part of a culture, and that we're part of a culture, and that the culture uh, informs us on what's right and wrong in the Bible. So you're so far with me. Yeah. So I simply asked him, I said, well, what if we're in a culture like, say, Africa, where homosexuality is still generally accepted as a sinful uh, and, uh, and uncouth practice? Uh, would, we, would you then say that they're right, even though they're disagreeing with you? And he was really kind of stuck. And and what what he began to realize, and I said, so it's just really our new American culture that's determining how the Bible's supposed to be read. We can't acknowledge anyone else's cultures as valid. And he he had to concede. Basically, it's the culture of the uh, of the liberal universities that determines what the Bible says. And and in the end, when we have that, and I think I told the guy this, which he he then went and sat back at his table. Uh, I, I said, you, look, you, you're saying the culture that, that has the authoritative interpretation of the scriptures or is, the, is, the, uh, is the liberal academic culture in the Western world and that every other culture has to bow down to that. And I, and I said, I think that's just plain old racist. All right. <laughs>
All right, we need to take a break, and you're going to reconnect to Pastor. We're, we're, we're getting a little choppy on us. Oh, so man. We'll reconnect to you, but we'll be right back from more Cable Talk Radio. Don't go away. Hi, this is Todd Wilkin, host of Issues Etc. When I can't sleep, I listen to Table Talk Radio. And now it's time for Table Talk Extras with Pastor Brian Wolfmuller. Whenever I talk about theology, I often hear people say, well, that's just your opinion. And if that's true, if the things that I teach or the things that any Christian says are simply our opinions, then it would be better for us not to say anything at all. For there is no place for opinion in the Lord's Church. No place for our own reason or our own understanding. There is no place for our own traditions or our own thoughts. There is no place for man's word in the Church. The Church is to be filled with the words of the Lord, not human opinion. The words of God, the heavenly counsels, the words of the prophets and apostles inspired by the Holy Spirit, that's what rules and reigns in the church. If we come to each other with our own opinions, then no wonder people think we're arrogant when we say we're right because it's simply my opinion, which I assume is better than yours. But that's not how we're given to talk in the church. We rather talk about the Lord's word and what it says. That's why we have texts like this from Joshua chapter 1. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. But you shall meditate on it day and night, that you may be careful to do all that is written in it. We meditate on the Lord's word day and night so that his word can be in our mouth, that his word is in our hearts and ringing in our ears, because it's his word, his promises, that give us life and salvation and the forgiveness of all of our sins. So let us be through with human tradition and human opinion. And let us cling for our very lives to the truth of the Lord's words. Lord, keep us steadfast in your word. Amen. This has been a production of Table Talk Radio. For more information, visit tabletalkradio.org. Welcome back to Table Talk Radio. Uh, we just got done talking. Pastor, you're telling us a story about uh, uh, the Episcopalian that you met in Oregon uh, discussing about that, that, that you know, God continues to speak through the culture. And I always find it interesting that uh, th- this way that people find truth or find how God is speaking, the, the conduit to which God speaks to us. So in this case, it's not just God's word, but it's uh, God's word. Uh, and culture, or God's word interpreted by culture. Um, I, th- I thought you said God's word and culture. <laughs> <laughs> what kind of church is that? <laughs> God's word and culture. That's right. And anytime you have something and you know stuck on the end of the scriptures, then it's that's what matters. I mean, if it's God's word interpreted through culture, all that matters is culture. Terrible. Right. Okay, well, uh, so that's that's kind of how you would approach it then in, in playing this game. I guess so. I yeah, I think. So. What do you think? 
Um, I mean, how would you do it? I mean, th- these conversations can can um, kind of unfold in any different direction, and it depends on who you're talking to and the circumstance and and this sort of thing. The 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 thing maybe just to note is that uh, we get to th- this should be a joy having these conversations. I mean, just engaging theologically with people and with in our everyday lives and in the news and engaging uh, with the catechism in mind, engaging in those things around us. And and uh, and fruit comes from it. The Lord promises it, that his word goes forth and um, and never does it come back void. All right. Well, uh, what's your what's your news article for me? Here's the headline from CNN about 200 arrested in violence against Christians in Pakistan. Islamabad. About 200 people have been arrested in a flare-up of anti-Christian violence in Gurdjieff that left seven dead, a government minister said Monday. Rana Sanaula, Punjab's provincial law minister, told CNN that parliamentary rangers for uh, that the parliamentary ranger force was helping police maintain law and order. Seven people were killed and 20 injured Saturday when Muslim demonstrators set fire to houses in a Christian enclave, and fighting broke out. Authorities said. Police said the Muslims were protesting an alleged desecration of pages in the Quran, the Muslim sacred text, at a Christian wedding. At a news conference in Islamabad carried on local TV, Shezbaz Bhatti, federal minister for minorities, said an investigation determined there was no desecration of the Quran in village 95 Gil near Gorja City, and the allegations were baseless. He also said the government will rebuild all the burned houses. Abati told CNN that four women, two men, and a child, all Christians, were either shot to death or killed when their houses were burned. About 50 houses were burned down, and more than 100 were looted by the protesters, Abati said. The incident occurred in Gordra City, about 160 kilometers southwest of Lahore. Hmm. Wow. Um, there's a plethora of commandments to talk about here. Um, the first and obvious one is the first commandment that... Um, these uh, Muslims were were doing these actions in the name of God, uh, in the name of Allah, and uh, that they don't recognize uh, the right God. They reject the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In fact, the the very idea that that God can can be in the person of a person be incarnate is just blasphemy to to uh, the Islamic faith. And so, the first commandment, obviously, um, again. To be doing that in the name of God is, is, as you mentioned in the last article, the second commandment that, um, in the Lord's name. Uh, let's see, what else do we have? Fifth commandment, obviously, uh, murder, uh, destruction of property. Um, there's a lot to lot to discuss here. So um, I don't know. Just, do you want to comment on that before I move on to the the communicating part of it? No, I think that's right. I mean, um, this kind of uh, a friend of mine t- uh, told me about the story this Sunday and said, Had, have you heard what um, was happening um, in Gojra, uh, it's, which is right up the street? He's a Pakistani man right up the street from his hometown. And he says, oh, it's just simply terrible. The Muslims there declared jihad on the Christians and now then gives them freedom to just steal and loot and do anything they want. Really, really terrible. Um uh, and, and sad, and especially from you know the the Christians. There's these these Christians in Pakistan, and boy, they are having a tough time. Uh, so, so when the Lord has all these commandments, like you shall not murder, to protect life, and, and then because of an idolatrous view of religion, the people feel free to go and simply steal lives like that is is really terrible. 
No, so what would you say now? And how about this? What would you say to someone who is... Well, who do you want to talk to in this? Do you want to talk about one of the Muslim attackers, or do you want to talk to one of the Christians that's mourning the death of their loved one? Oh, boy. Um, I'll take the Muslim if you take the Christian. <laughs> All right. Deal. <laughs> um, although, I don't know. Maybe I've dug myself in too deep in talking about this, but um, I, I guess just to just to ask the question, um, uh why why is jihad or, or killing in the name of allah um uh okay uh, why why is why is not morality objective across uh across religions and in another word um we we say that you know the fifth commandment thou shalt not kill and that's true for a christian for a jew for an atheist i mean no one should kill um uh, no one should murder i should say um but why then is it okay for the Muslim for morality not to be objective in the sense that I, uh, a Muslim can kill a Christian in, in the name of jihad, um, but not the other way around? I don't know. That that's that was the first thing that came to my mind. Yeah, it's it is. I mean, it's difficult to have these conversations. But I mean, maybe to talk to like an academic Muslim hanging around here in the United States and say, uh, "Look, this is really completely crazy. Um, this idea of jihad and." Um, uh, and to see if you could convince them. I think someone here hanging out in the United States might be more open to the um, to the evidence of the nuttiness of, of jihad if they could, you know, to see things like this. Uh, to the Christian, I might say, I mean, simply this marvelous verse, which is from Jesus, uh, writing to the church in, in, uh, in Smyrna. This is Revelation 2.10. Do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested, that you will have tribulation ten days. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. So we have this promise here that those who die in the faith die for confessing the faith. Jesus has for them the crown of life, so that those those seven Christians, which now were um, were killed uh, because of a lie, there was also eighth commandment thing in there that they said there was a desecration of the Quran, which didn't happen. So bearing false witness, they they died for a made up lie. Uh, the Lord has for them the treasure of eternal life, and we can be absolutely certain of of that. Well, that's ten commandments in the news, and uh, now it's time for a little bit of a who wants to be a theologian. All right, and uh, you start as the uh, the low of lows, the uh, the bottom of of the barrel. A bigger as. as uh, <laughs> No, no, that's the other end. That's that's the top. Has, has um, that not been confirmed for you yet? <laughs> you laughed when I said that before you were a vicar. <laughs> All right. So you, so you come in as a co-host of Table Talk Radio, and your first question is this, in, in order to become a peasant. The secret society of which one's membership would... Uh, which would exclude one's membership of the congregation of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Now, there might be a couple of these, so you've you got to pick the best answer. Okay. So the secret society uh, of which one's membership would exclude him uh, from the membership of the congregation of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Is it A, the Knights of Columbus? Is it B, the Masonic Lodge? C, Society of the Holy Innocents? Or D, the Table Talk Radio Fan Club? 
<laughs> Probably should be that. The Society of the Holy Innocents is something I've never ever heard of in my life. Is there really such a thing? I don't know. <laughs> so I know about the Knights of Columbus. That's the Roman Catholic uh, business. Uh, it's kind of the lay order. So the Knights of Columbus, are um, they've got halls and they're doing all sorts of social outreach. So being a member of the Roman Catholic Church uh, would certainly exclude you from membership in the Missouri Synod Church. But it's also true that being a member of the Masonic Lodge would do the same. Uh, this A lot of people have trouble with this, but the Lodge itself is a religion. It has a creed. It has a... Uh, it has a doctrine, it has a confession, and it's not the confession of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's the confession of the Creator God. And so um, and so, being a member of any other religious organization excludes you from being a member of the Church. You just can't simply confess two different things. So the answer, I want to say both A and B. Well, um, I think you have to look at the question in its totality because I'm not sure, maybe this could be argued, I'm not sure the Knights of Columbus could be considered a secret society. Oh, 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 yeah, all right, you tricked me. All right. So I can't go backwards, so I remain. <laughs> is, the, is the game over now? <laughs> yeah. If you missed the Thanks question. for listening to Table Talk Radio. I'll see you next time. <laughs> no. I'll be well, the next contestant. I'll let you keep playing. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> no, you're so right, That's though. right. The Knights of Columbus is not a secret society. It's a unsecret society, <laughs> public society. But, but you have to be Roman Catholic to be in there, right? <laughs> Yeah, you're right. Yeah, so member. Yeah, you're right. Membership would would exclude you. Um, but you're right though about this uh, Masonic Lodge. Um, you know, it's been a while since I've looked at this stuff. When I when I first joined the Missouri Standard from uh, basically the ELCA, the pastors kind of de- described the differences between the ch- two church bodies. And this is one of the things that came up, and not that you know I was I really hadn't heard of it before this. Uh, but I, I remember looking a bunch of this stuff up, and um, a lot of I, I found out a lot of the people that are in this I really don't know what it is that they're in. Um, a lot of them are in it for business contacts or more, I guess, kind of the the thrill of being in a secret society. But but it's true that, in fact, some some of them, upon entrance, will make you swear uh, denying certain things like, like Jesus Christ is Lord. So it, you're right about it being religion. Yes. All right, Pastor, are you ready to start over? Yeah, I'm ready. <laughs> we'll have to do that right after this commercial break. We have more Table Talk Radio right after this break. We'll start over with... Who wants to be a theologian? Martin Luther says that the most common idol in all of the world is the idol of money, that we trust in it, that we fear losing it, that we think that because we have it, we're secure. Here at Table Talk Radio, we have the solution for this idolatry. Click the Donate Now button on our website, and you will support the ongoing efforts of Table Talk Radio to spread this word of God throughout the world. Table Talk Radio is listener-supported. If you would like to help with the financial needs of Table Talk Radio, just click the Donate button on our website tabletalkradio.org Welcome back to Table Talk Radio. We are in the middle of playing this game, Who Wants to Be a Theologian? We're starting all over with Pastor Brian Wolfman because uh, he missed the first question. Yeah, it was a nice (laughs) little trick question. Oh, man. Okay, well, here's your second you question. You love it. You love it. I don't mind trying to be... St- uh, what is... Uh, it's a stumbling block. You're my stumbling block. 
<laughs> well, here, here's your second question to be a peasant. The great hymn, Salvation Unto Us Has Come, was written by which hymn writer? Is it A, Martin Luther, B, Paul Sparatus, C, Paul Gerhardt, or D, Chris Tomlin? Yes. Our friend, the, the, the friend of Table Talk Radio, Chris Tomlin. That's right. Uh, hasn't, so we had the interview with him. Uh, which you, was played, you played contemporary or traditional with him. That's great. That's <laughs> classic. Anyways, uh, so it's not him. It, this, th- there was very, very early in the Lutheran Reformation a hymnal, which kind of captured the teaching of the Lutherans, the gospel, that through the law we can't merit salvation, uh, but only through the death of Christ on the cross. And our faith in him is then accounted to us as righteousness. And this hymn was in that hymnal, which I think had four hymns or something, 1522. Uh, we'll have to get our fact checkers on that. It's either 15 um, or 22, I'm sure. <laughs> no, the year 1522. Oh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> sorry. Continue. <laughs> uh, but anyways, this hymn was in there, and it's so it's kind of the banner theological hymn of the Lutheran Church. Uh, written by Paul Spiratus. That is correct. Yeah. You can hand me my big check. I'm a peasant now. I'm moving up <laughs> in the world from vicar to peasant. And now next is a monk and then a reformer and then an excommunicate. I won't even be able to get that far. It's true. You won't You won't reach the, the level of vicar as you had hoped to. All right. The level of uh, Monk um, was with this question. The first gospel in the Bible is spoken to whom? Is it A, Satan, B, Adam, C, Eve, or D, Mary? Oh, okay. So our options are the first gospel. That would uh, Latin is Proto-Evangelion, and that would be the verse in the Bible, Genesis 3.15, where... Oh, boy, this is a great verse. Uh, Jesus comes in, into the garden and to talk to, to talk to the three characters there, Adam, Eve, and the devil, and, uh, and gives the promise that Eve's seed would crush the devil's head. And that's the promise of the death of Jesus. Well, simply fantastic. I, I, I would hold that after God speaks this verse, Genesis 3.15, that Adam and Eve... Uh, uh, could have confessed the Apostles' Creed. I mean, that's how much marvelous theology and text is in there. We'll have to unfold that another time. Uh, but but this is a, a, a bit of another trick question because God there, and this is a theophany, so there's my buzzword ding, ding, ding. Uh, for you. Um, uh, this is God appearing and walking there. It says he came to walk with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day. Uh, or maybe even better, a Christophany, an appearance of Jesus in the Old Testament. And we know that every theophany is a Christophany because Jesus says no one at any time saw God, but the only begotten Son who's in the bosom of the Father has made him known. So that every time God is seen, it's the second person of the Trinity, the Son. And he's addressing directly the serpent. But the, here's the tricky thing, is that it's for the benefit of Adam and Eve, so that God speaks to the serpent of his own doom, so that Adam and Eve can be comforted by it. So I think in a kind of wooden way, it was addressed, the first gospel was addressed to the to the serpent or to the devil, um, but it was also intended certainly for Adam and for Eve and for us and our comfort. So you're excluding D, Mary? <laughs> yes. 
<laughs> All right. Well, I guess Mary, too. <laughs> Mary would have had that comfort, yeah, just like true. you and me, but <laughs> she wasn't hanging around. Okay. Well, but I'm going to say A, the devil. Okay, that's correct and wonderfully explained. So I'll give you 300 for the theological buzzword and an extra four point for the great explanation. I'm up on you by four. Ah, dang it. Did I say four? <laughs> I meant... <laughs> Shoot. All right. Well, starting over in this game also deducts uh, 100 points. So <laughs> I'll just make up rules as I go. Okay, are you ready? You are now a monk. Right on. And to um, become a reformer, which is the 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 final stage in this in this game, which the, the highest you can get, the question is this. Which book of the Bible does Paul talk about the thorn in his flesh? Ooh. Is this A, Ephesians, B, 1 Corinthians, C, 2 Corinthians, or D, 2 Maccabees? <laughs> no, I'm pretty sure Paul didn't write 2 Maccabees. I mean, I mean I'm not sure who. Uh, <laughs> maybe he did. Uh, no, second, the Maccabees were hanging around long before Paul came around, so let's take that off the list. We know that uh, Ephesians and First and Second Corinthians were both written by Paul. Uh, and this text where Paul says he prayed three times for the thorn to be taken from him is another one of these great comfort texts. I don't know how many people that, you know, as a pastor, you go to the hospital or you go to the sick bed or something, and you want to give people comfort, and they, they give comfort to you. And this is the verse mo- most often quoted when when people want to help you out, they say, Pastor, you know, even Paul had a thorn in the flesh, and, and, and he prayed three times, and God spoke to him and says, My strength is made perfect in your weakness. And so I know that God is um, he, he is strong even in my weakness here. Really quite wonderful. Uh, so uh, uh, so we know that uh, uh, this text is a beautiful text of comfort, and Paul will speak about this, his weakness, over and over in both of the letters to the Corinthians. In fact, in Second Corinthians, he'll emphasize this, um, that he was let down through the window and in a basket and in the night on the ocean all night and stoned all these times. He really emphasizes his weakness. But I think, if I remember correct, this particular text is in 1 Corinthians. And so I'm going to say B, 1 Corinthians, final answer. Ha ha. Let me get my Bible. Hold on. Because <laughs> I think you're wrong. <laughs> but you don't know? It could be 2 Corinthians. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm pretty sure it's you, 2 Corinthians, but I don't want to. I don't want to say you're wrong and, and not be completely sure. Uh, yeah, you're wrong. It's Second uh, <laughs> Corinthians chapter 12. My grace is go. sufficient for you, for uh, power is perfected in weakness. Yes. Well, there you go. It makes sense. It fits in with the whole business. Uh, yeah, I should have known this because Paul talks about the, seeing revelations and stuff, but so that he wouldn't be too exalted. He was given this thorn in the flesh. And so that's uh yeah that's right there in the end of Second Corinthians. You're right. So a pretty a pretty terrible showing for you. <laughs> Who wants to Surely be a theologian? <laughs> I know it. I didn't make it. I'm still. What am I? A peasant? At least I'm not a vicar. <laughs> you wish you could be a vicar. There's some know. consolation in that. <laughs> All right. Well, we have a, just a few minutes to play. What's in your pastor's library? So you ready oh, to play? Oh, I was looking forward to that. All right. <laughs> You can give me points based on how orthodox the book I pull off the shelf is. I want to know what's on your. I don't. Want, I don't care what's on your shelf. I want to know what's on your desk. Okay, we can play. What's on your pastor's desk? Okay, what's on your pastor's desk? All right, I'm closing my eyes. The way this game works is I close my <laughs> eyes, and Vicar Gagline directs me around my office to grab hold of something at random, and then we come to the microphone, 
And uh, this game was invented back in the days of what can we do that doesn't require any show prep? Right. And back in the days, I mean yesterday, you know. <laughs> okay, my eyes are closed. You direct me. My desk is behind me. Okay, so turn around. We hear your noisy chair. Right. Ugh, I hate that chair. Um, and uh, reach straight out with your left hand. And uh, I guess grab whatever you find. There's a folder there. You want me to find a book? Yeah. Do you, do you have any books on your desk? Do you ever read? I have a book here. All right. Let's see what you got. I'm well, look, this doesn't quite count. Okay. I grabbed a Bible. Okay. Oh. So do you want to do Let's do that again. Okay. <laughs> All right. Eyes are closed. Okay. This time go more to your right then, I guess. More to my right. Here's a book. <laughs> I think I know what this is. <laughs> All right, what is this? This is a book called Alien Powers, A Pure Theory of Ideology by Kenneth Minogue. I knew it. You do have that book. <laughs> what? Okay, what is this book about, Alien Powers? This book is about um, – the, the thesis of this book is that there is an ideological way of viewing the world, and it is it is common over all sorts of uh, polit- political things. Basically, that there's two ways of viewing the world uh, – a political way and an ideological way. And so I'm trying to... I can only understand like every third sentence of this book. Um, but here I'll give you one. This is kind of heady stuff. Uh, you have about a minute uh, here. Oh, well, that's... <laughs> I, I probably can't even fill up that with the stuff I understand from this. But here's <laughs> one. Um, the human condition is, according to the best religious sources with which the West is familiar, highly imperfect. And no one with the least contact, either with the reality or revelation... Hey, there's your buzzword. Would expect very much from it. Men must work and suffer in conditions where they are fundamentally divided both from God and from one another. This is the condition known as alienation, an idea common both Christianity and the ideologies which had grown up in its soil. So there's the kind of religious way of looking at things. But the ideological way is different. It says that ideology sees the, construes the world... Um, as a, a set of oppressions which stand against people and, and that we have to then spend our whole lives fighting against these uh, oppressive structures in the world. And, and really, it's kind of helpful because we see, well, really, when we see politics unfolding before us today, we see a bunch of ideologues uh, trying to break out from this oppressive system, uh, which is a dangerous way to see the world. All right. This was a bad book to pick up with only a minute to talk about. <laughs> Well, that's all the time we have, so uh, it's over. Congratulations, you made it to the end of Table Talk Radio. <laughs> and thank you all for listening to Table Talk Radio. The Table Talk Radio, where the points are like this book I've got here in my hand now, Sam Harris, Letter to the Christian Nation. Uh, not quite worth the paper that they're printed on. <laughs> You've been listening to Table Talk Radio. The views expressed on this show are that of the hosts and do not reflect the views or opinions of this station. We would like to answer your questions concerning theology, the scriptures, or anything else. Send your questions to question at tabletalkradio.org or leave us a voicemail message, 866-851-5523. Be sure to check out our website, tabletalkradio.org. Thanks for listening, and tune in again next time to Table Talk Radio.